And there you will see the beginning of a conversation, and the end of the conversation is staggering. We'll just read the verses because they all link up so closely. Jesus looked round about and said unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? They're so full of materialism, they are full of unbelief. And the disciples were astonished at his words, but Jesus answered again and saith unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished out of measure. Welcome to Let the Bible Speak. This is a radio broadcast of our Free Presbyterian Church, and we're turning again to our message on Blind Bartimaeus, the power of faith to convert a man and to bring him to trust in the Lord Jesus as Savior and Redeemer. This miracle of the cure of blindness, well, it's a picture of what Jesus does for every sinner, for every soul that comes in their spiritual darkness to be delivered and set free from blindness. So stay tuned with us today as we get to that message. We will have a hymn uh, singing, I Will Love the Lord. But firstly, our meditation, our question-answer on Romans chapter 1. And we're looking at verse 18, which speaks of the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Yesterday, the question was, why did Paul mention the word wrath in this context? even brought it in right at the very opening chapter of the epistle. And, of course, the answer is that the gospel, the cross work, the death, the redeeming work of the Lord Jesus, is to uh, answer and to bring a remedy to the wrath of God upon sinful men. And when the wrath of God fell upon Jesus on the cross, it brings peace to the believer and it brings salvation to all who trust in Jesus for salvation. Now, here's a question. How does Paul treat the subject of wrath of God throughout the book of Romans? Is it central or is it peripheral to his whole presentation of the gospel? Is it something he feels he can raise here in chapter 1 and be done with for the rest of the book? Can he be faithful to the gospel message by moving on to the positive aspects of righteousness and justification? Well, I sort of answered my own question here, but the answer is no. The wrath of God is the premise upon which he builds the gospel message in the book of Romans. Uh, We will be convinced of this when we look at all ten references of God's wrath recorded here in the book of Romans. Chapter 118, you have the Greek word is orge. Uh, The idea is passionate response in anger. God is not clinical and cold in his meeting out of judgment, but is moved with rage, anger, and indignation. He visits in vengeance to express his personal fury against sin, which is rebellion to his own glory. These terms all come up in this book of Romans. God is pictured as jealous for his own glory. He is passionate to promote his glory and is equally passionate in his hatred 
for everything that would rob God of his glory. And we need to get a sight of that as we preach the gospel to men and women. We need to realize that God is moved in anger and holy indignation uh, against the wicked. And the gospel is the way to see men delivered from that wrath of God that will be poured about on the wicked if they are not brought to faith in the Savior. Now, let's go to chapter 2, verse 5 to 8, and I want you to note this wrath of God is based on the righteous judgment of God. Uh, Romans 2, verse 5. But after thy hardness and impenitent heart, treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. What a combination. Indignation and wrath. Verse 8 refers to the inner nature of God. This reference to wrath is, is twinned with indignation. And this word means to breathe with passion. To be indignant is to be upset and disturbed. We learn that God is not a bystander observing the wheels of justice turn against men. But rather, he is personally offended and personally responsive to the judgment that falls on men. And our Lord Jesus expressed that righteous anger when he cleansed the temple, when he drove out the money changers. And with indignation and wrath and a sense of of fury against men, he drove them out. That reveals to us the nature of God and the great need to find peace with God through the gospel of his own dear son. So I trust you'll stay tuned with us today as we turn now to the message uh, on blind Bartimaeus on the power of faith. So if you want to know if your faith is genuine tonight, I ask you, Does it also mean you've given up the old life? You've repented of the old life, the old way. Let me read to you just another little section of that confession, section 2. Upon the apprehension of the mercy in Christ to such as are penitent, so grieves for and hates his sins as to turn from them all unto God, purposing and endeavoring to walk with him all the ways of his commandments. Now, I don't know if the writers of the Westminster Confession of Faith were thinking about the, the story of blind Bartimaeus, but it's a perfect fit. A man that has a comprehension of God's mercy, and that's what Bartimaeus had. He was pleading mercy. Along with that cry for mercy, there will be this new purpose endeavoring to walk with him all the ways of his commandments. And that's exactly what we see here in the life of Bartimaeus. And so genuine faith will have in it a measure of repentance. Now, don't ask me to quantify it and measure it and say to what degree, to what extent. Once we go down that route, we're in terrible trouble. If you start quantifying how much repentance do I need, how sorrowful do I need to be, how many tears do I need to shed, how much do I need to afflict myself, in either mentally or physically, once you go down that road, you've gotten your eyes completely off the Lord. You see, the very fact that you turn to Jesus for mercy is a cry that you want to be delivered from the old life. And if you came to the Lord for mercy— 
you're not going to go back to those old sins that got you into debt and guilt and shame. You will want to be delivered from them. Mr. Spurgeon, he wrote this on the subject of faith. To hate sin because it caused the brow of Christ to be girt with the thorn crown, and the face of Christ to be dishonored with the spittle, and the hands of Christ to be pierced with the nail, this is repentance. Not because I am afraid of hell, not because sin brings pains and penalties with it, but because it made Jesus to suffer for me such pangs unutterable. In other words, if you get your eyes on the sufferings of the Lord Jesus, his cross work, it will work in you a sorrow, a mourning, a hatred of sin. And your genuine faith will automatically bring about a desire and a burden that you do not repeat nor go back to the old ways that will bring shame upon the Lord. So I see here in Bartimaeus that he cast away that garment because he was done with the old life. He was going to Jesus, and he had faith that he was going to be healed from his blindness. Thirdly, faith in the power of Christ was the reason for his rising and coming to the Lord. Look at verse 50. And he, casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. Now, this is what gives the gospel preacher the authority, the mandate, to say to some sinner in the pew, would you come to Jesus tonight? Rise, stir up your soul, and tonight come to Jesus. Now, it may not be that we insist the person gets out of their seat, walks down the aisle, and bows the knee at the front bench of the church. Mind you, if the Spirit is working and the person is convicted and they want to plead for mercy, I don't see that as altogether wrong. It might be that we would say to the person, will you tonight pray in the seat where you sit? Or will you talk to the uh, elder or minister or Sunday school teacher after the service? Would you pray the sinner's prayer? Rise, come to Jesus. That's true, accurate gospel preaching, whatever the methodology of bringing that person one by one to respond to that. Now, he is given uh, all power and authority in heaven to save his people. Now, this man had faith in the power of the Lord Jesus, and he did rise. He rose up, and he went to the Lord Jesus and stood right before him. And he did so because he had faith. He believed that the Lord had all power to do it. Now, think on the extraordinary nature of this miracle. The human eye is an amazing creation. It's such an amazing gift. Who can restore sight? to a blind person who perhaps for years and years has had loss of the eye. You could say the eye is dead. It's not responding. The nerves are gone. The blood supply 
is gone. Ophthalmologists, the doctors who specialize in the area of treating eyes, they, for the most part, uh, work on preventing loss of vision. But when a person goes blind, it's over. And how many, whether through age or through injury or some disease of the eye, the doctor can say to them, well, it's just so far gone, there's nothing we can do. If we had gotten this earlier, if we had intervened at an earlier point, we could have done something to prevent this increase of loss. But now that the eyesight is gone, there's absolutely nothing that we can do. The last time I had an eye exam, uh, after they did all the letter work, and then they took this thing to look right into the eye that goes right behind the eyeball to look at the, uh, at the, the nerves and so on. And then they showed me the picture on the computer screen. And it looked like the moon. And you could see all the, the, the blood vessels, and you could see uh, various connections in the eye. And of course, the tree and eye can determine whether it's healthy or whether there's a disease beginning or whatever, and they can begin to see. But the eye is absolutely amazing. And I remember saying to him, who created the eye? And of course, the ophthalmologist I was with, they didn't want to look at that. They didn't want to go into that. But you know, I read in my Bible, Psalm 94, verse 9, He that planted the ears, shall he not hear? He that formed the eye, shall he not see? Now, in that psalm, the psalmist is arguing that God is omniscient. He sees everything, because he's the one that created the human eye. With all its intricacy, with all its uh, amazing biology, God's the one that created the eye. And here is Bartimaeus. He believed that all power resided in the Lord Jesus. And he said to him simply, that I might receive my sight. Lord, I know it's, it's in your power to do it. And he just came like a little boy to his father and, and, and said, this is my request, that I might get my eyesight. Now, unbelief, of course, would undo the supernatural nature of the Lord Jesus and said, he's just an ordinary man. He's just a great teacher. He's just a person who's passing through, a prophet, a fad, but he's not really supernatural. But Bartimaeus believed that all power resided in the Lord. Now, strangely and wonderfully in this same chapter, and I don't know if Bartimaeus heard any of this, go back in Mark 10 to verse 23, and there you'll see the beginning of a conversation, and the end of the conversation is staggering. We'll just read the verses because they all link up so closely. Jesus looked round about and said unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? They're so full of materialism, they are full of unbelief. And the disciples were astonished at his words, but Jesus answered again and saith unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished out of measure. And here are disciples now, they're staggered at the statement of the Lord, astonished, saying among themselves, well, if that's the case, who then can be saved? 
And Jesus, looking upon them, saith, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. If you believe that with all your heart you too would rise and come to Jesus tonight, you would not rest if you believed that Jesus had all power. And any reluctance, any saying, but I don't think I should, it's unbelief. Unbelief. Denying the supernatural nature of the Lord Jesus. And of course, unbelief makes Jesus a liar. He claimed to be the Son of God, claimed to have all power in heaven and earth. And unbelief says, but I don't think so. And they just hold back. That's why unbelievers end up in hell, because they don't come to the one who can save them. They deny his power. They deny his supernatural nature. So do you see here that faith links up to the power of the Lord Jesus? Do you see here in Bartimaeus the amazing process of how he threw away the garment, knowing that he'd never need it again? He rose up, came to Jesus, and said, I just want my eyesight. And the Lord said, right there in verse 52, Go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. So he had faith in the person of Christ, faith in the power of Christ. Lastly, I want us to look at the fact that he had faith in the passion of the Lord Jesus. And by the word passion, I want to alliterate those three Ps, right? Person, power, passion. But by passion, I mean his mission, the mission that Jesus was on. And we know that he was passing through Jericho on his way to Jerusalem. And we're told here that Bartimaeus joined and followed the Lord Jesus in the way. That's the last statement of the chapter. And now Bartimaeus, with this faith that he was given, he believed in the mission that Jesus was on. And instantly he followed Jesus in the way. Now, where was Jesus going? Let's go back to verse 32. And they were in the way going up to Jerusalem. You'll see this emphasis in Mark's gospel on being in the way. I hope tonight that you are in the way, God's way, the gospel way, a disciple of Christ, the way of the cross. Now, he was going up the way, going up to Jerusalem, going up to Jerusalem. And this was going to be his Passion Week, the week of Jesus' death. Now, notice the zeal of the Lord in this. Jesus went before them. The Lord Jesus was not a reluctant uh, Savior. He set his face as a flint to go to Jerusalem, and he's leading the way to Jerusalem. And Bartimaeus gets on board and becomes a disciple of the Lord Jesus on the way to Jerusalem. And let me say it was going to be a very tough week for disciples. In this week, the Lord would sift every one of his disciples. We know what happened to Peter on the night of Jesus' arrest and how he denied the Lord three times. 
We know also that all the other disciples were scattered. It would appear that only John remained very close and was right there at the cross. At least he's the only one in the Gospels that's named at the cross. And I wonder about Bartimaeus. He followed Jesus in the way up to Jerusalem. If he stayed through the week with the Lord with these new eyes, he was going to see what many eyes would not want to see, and that is to see the Savior hanging on the cross. And he would see the man of Calvary gored in blood. What a sight Bartimaeus would see. For years he was blind, and in the week in which he got his new eyes, he saw the Lord in his human body, and he saw him kneel to a Roman cross, if he was there. We are told here that he followed Jesus to Jerusalem. He got in the way. If he stayed around Jerusalem that week, he would have seen the dying form of the Lord Jesus on that cross. He would have seen the kneels, and he would have seen the darkness. At least the sun shut out and the darkness descending. And he would have seen the darkness dispel, and the Lord Jesus crying out, It is finished! And Bartimaeus would have been convinced in the passion, the mission of the Lord Jesus. Let me tell you, that's what faith does. Real saving gospel faith gives you a passion for the mission of the gospel, the cross of the Lord Jesus. You are convinced all men need to hear the message of the cross. It makes missionaries out of every born-again Christian. I cannot help myself. My new eyes of faith, fixed on the loveliness of Jesus, the man of Calvary, make me a follower of the Son of God all the way to the cross. How many followers of the Lord Jesus are here tonight? How many Christians are in the way, all the way to the cross. It brings suffering. It brings shame. It brings discomfort. It brings sometimes tribulation. But you must follow Jesus in the way. That's what faith does. And if you turn back, if you go back to the world and to the old road of begging, empty, you deny the very Savior that bought you with his own blood. All other ways are ways of unbelief. They're ways of darkness. They're ways to hell. But the way of the cross for the Christian leads home. And the Lord might be asking you to do the most difficult thing that you can ever imagine. Some people get the idea that if you're a follower of Jesus, you're only asked to do easy things. Well, Peter wasn't asked to do easy things. John wasn't asked to do easy things. And those that witnessed the death of Christ on the cross, and perhaps Bartimaeus along with them, they may have seen things that shook them to the boots. And of course, it took the resurrection to give them the authority and the confidence they needed. My friend, will you cry tonight for mercy? Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Will you come to him for new eyes? And will you follow him 
in the way. Tonight, not next week, now tonight. Arise, get up, cast away the old life. Be done with it. If you have real faith, you'll come. You'll come to Jesus, and you'll leave the world behind, and you'll follow the Savior all the way. In Jesus' name, I bid you come. He has all authority and power, and he can save you. Or perhaps he can redirect your life if you're already a Christian. And with new eyes, clear vision, you can serve the Lord as never before. Let that be true tonight, that we don't go back to the darkness, but press all the way of the cross. Everlasting love, led by grace that loved would know. Spirit breathing from above, thou hast taught me it is so. Oh, this full and perfect. This is Pastor Ian Golliher, and you're listening to Let the Bible Speak. I hope you've been blessed today through the ministry of God's Word. I'd also be delighted to talk with you. My personal phone number is 604-897-2040. Please call to let me know that you're listening, and we can open the Bible and pray together. 
For all the information about our radio ministry in Canada and our churches in Buffalo, Scarborough, Port Hope, and Barrie, please go to ltbs.ca. If you have been blessed today, please kindly consider helping us to cover the cost of airtime. Your gift, large or small, will make the difference. You can donate online at ltbs.ca or by mail. Our mailing address is LTBS 18790, 58th Avenue, Surrey, BC, V3S 1M6. My phone number again is 604-897-2040. And remember to join us again at this time next week on this station as we let the Bible speak.